Welcome everyone. We are going to begin with this call to gather from Walter Brueggemann. The world we live in, the world where the empires of humanity rule, is the parody. All empires are acts of imagination. They present a world that lures humanity into its false hopes and lays claim to our hearts and souls as the unquestioned status quo. Before you know it, you are duped. You take what the world offers, commodities, prejudices, fears, injustices, violence, false gods, and you accept it all as a given. To this tired life, accepted as unquestioned reality, scripture offers another world, another way of being that is both unsettling and comforting as it stands in prophetic judgment over the empires of the world. Amen. Welcome to Emmaus Way. We are a community that's captivated by the gospel, trying to pay attention and recognize um, where the Spirit of God is at work and participate with God. Um, we, each week we take part in this practice of community song, and we're going to try when the ship comes in once again. We're going to nail it this time. All right. All right, here we go. Oh, the time will come up when the winds will stop and the breeze will cease to be breathing. Like the stillness in the wind before the hurricane begins, the hour that the ship comes in. And the seas will split and the ship will hit and the sands on the shoreline will be shaken. And the tide will sound and the wind will pound And the morning will be breaking And a song will lift as the mainsail ships And the boat drifts on to the shoreline And the sun will respect every face on the deck The hour that the ship comes in Then the sands will roll out the carpet on wherever you're going yeah so this group the preschoolers this week started in there talking about Moses and the older kids both groups are wrapping up their um, encounter with creation um so, announcements for this week. One thing is, next Sunday, during the first half, we're going to be taking a brief break from the offerings that have been going on for the past couple of weeks, and that will be our Ecclesia gathering. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with that, that's kind of our 
family meeting, talking about what's going on in our community and speaking to each other about um, whatever is going on, whatever business we need to be taken care of. And teaser, um, I think the main topic next week will be talking about our search for our pastor hire that's coming up. So um, don't miss it. Be there, speak into it. Um, and then second half will be as usual, which you never get the same thing twice, so not usual. But um, Other announcements? I'll throw out one real quick. I sent this out to the UA Social as well, but I'll put out one last call. The Mace Way, of course, we've done a lot with the Religious Coalition for Santa and Durham. One of the things that the coalition does is forms faith teams around people coming out of incarceration. Amaze Way is getting another faith team up and running, and we'll be meeting here for the first time, hopefully sometime near the end of this month. If this is something you'd be interested in doing, please reach out to me, reach out to Joy, reach out to JRS, all three of us are part of us, you can talk to Ben, or talk to any of us. Yeah, I'm glad that you started, and yeah, because I had nothing to do with it, and that's one of the reasons I'm glad that it started. <laughs> but yeah, working with the Religious Coach, I just want to say thanks for a really, yeah, robust group of amazing with people that were with us over at Shepherd's House yesterday. That felt, um, yeah, personally significant to me. Um, I know Sarah felt that as well. Happened right across from our house, but yeah, we were standing together on the site where 17 year old Vivian Parker Tucker was, um, yeah, was shot and killed this week, and it felt, yeah, really good to see a Mace Way family there alongside Coalition family. So, yeah, thanks for those who came. I wanted to share from Molly and James uh, um, a note that they've sent to our community. Um, they say, first, we want to say thank you for how deeply we've been held in love, hope, and prayer by you all during these days. Um, this week, we did learn from the first test results that our baby bean is a girl and that she has a genetic chromosomal abnormality. We had hoped to receive the karyotype on Friday which will reveal more specifically what all of this means, but we're still waiting for those results. We have an important doctor's appointment tomorrow and should receive the karyotype early this week. Once we know more, we'll send out an e-way social with a more specific update. In some ways, the most definitive news we've received this week from doctors and geneticists is that the days ahead for us are uncertain. We've also been told we will be living life week to week for an unknown amount of time. Depending on tomorrow's appointment, I hope to slowly ease my, this is Molly, slowly ease my way back into a mess way this week. And we are both planning to be at Emmaus Way next Sunday. As our community, we're asking you to hold on to hope with us and for us when we can't. We love you all, and we can feel how loved and prayed for our baby girl is already. Um, so um, that's what we know for now, and continue to, to pray for them. Um, 
So, in our practice during this season of looking at Revelation, and um, we are trying to pray in the posture of the question of what's breaking in. Um, we're looking for prayers of thanksgiving or vision for the inbreaking of love, justice, and hope that upend empire. So um, we are going to create space for um, people to pray silently, pray out loud about what is breaking in, where you see glimpses of something breaking in. And then um, each time someone prays out loud, our response is there in the bold. We watch, we wait, we hope. Um, and then at the end, I'll read the, the prayer here and we'll all read the stuff in bold. God, our hearts break as we wait and hope with Molly and James. Um, but we see, we see the Spirit of God at work when there are so many that have so much on them and yet they have space to wait and hope and so much love for Molly and James. We see the Spirit of God at work in our care for other people, in the love that we have, the love that we see. We watch, we wait, we hope. God, I want to thank you for um, just the love that poured out of uh, people during the vigil yesterday and, and uh, how, how something so tragic and so senseless that um, uh, we can see your spirit, we can see people coming together, God, to, to fight the violence with love and with care. And God, I pray for your Holy Spirit to move. I pray for your Holy Spirit to um, just be present in this city and stop the violence, God. God, we want to give thanks for the good news about Soren's CT scan. And um, these are answered prayers, many, many prayers for many, many months. We thank you for giving um, them and us the endurance, and we thank you for this answer to prayer. Mm -hmm. that create these sorts of occasions for violence to change from the out-of-control guns in our city to the like, crushing poverty and lack of opportunity and racism um, keeps 
fueling people, especially young men. Um, yeah, it feels really hopeless, but I guess I'm asking that that can change somehow. This feels hopeless right now, but maybe it's not. Watch. whose coming we await, you invite us into the light of your presence. Illumine the dim places of our hearts. We are thirsty for your compassion. That we may pour out your love to all who hunger. Sorry for wearing a hoodie and like up here it feels, I'm just very cold. <laughs> I'm not trying to make a point about how this is no big deal for me or something. Um, um, as much as you can, with as much endurance as you can muster, uh, yeah, please lend your voice to the the journey we're about to go on <laughs> together. <laughs> oh, where have you been, my blue-eyed son? Oh, where have you been, my darling young one? I've stumbled on the side of twelve misty mountains. I've walked and I've crawled on six crooked highways. I've stepped in the middle of seven sad forests I've been out in front of a dozen dead oceans I've been 10,000 miles in the mouth of a graveyard And it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard rain It's gonna fall Oh, what did you see, my blue-eyed son? And what did you see, my darling young one? I saw a newborn baby with wild wolves all around him. I saw a highway of diamonds with nobody on him. I saw a black branch with blood that kept dripping. I saw a room full of men with their hammers a-bleeding And I saw a white ladder all covered with water I saw 10,000 talkers whose tongues were all broken I saw guns and sharp swords in the hands of young children And it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard race gonna fall and what did you hear my blue-eyed son and what did you hear my darling young one I heard the sound of a thunder it roared out a warning heard the roar of a wave that could drown the whole world Heard 100 drummers whose hands were blazing. 
heard 10,000 whispering and nobody listening. I heard one person starve, I heard many people laughing. I heard the song of a poet who died in the gutter. I heard the sound of a clown who cried in the alley. And it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard rain that's gonna fall. Oh, and who did you meet, my blue-eyed son? Oh, who did you meet, my darling young one? I met a young child beside a dead pony. I met a white man who walked a black dog. I met a young woman whose body was burning. I met a young girl, she gave me a rainbow And I met one man who was wounded in love I met another man who was wounded with hatred And it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard rain It's gonna fall Oh, what do you do now, my blue-eyed son? Oh, what do you do now, my darling young one? Oh, I'm going back out before the rain starts to falling. I'll walk to the depths of the deepest black forest Where the people are many and their hands are all empty where the pellets of poison are flooding their waters Where the home in the valley meets the damp, dirty prison Where the executioner's face is always well hidden Where hunger is ugly, where souls are forgotten Where black is the color, where none is the number And I'll tell it and think it and speak it and breathe it and reflect it from the mountain so all souls can see it. And then I'll stand on the ocean until I start sinking. But I'll know my song well before I start singing. And it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard rain. It's gonna fall. Yeah, here's the fall. Um, so tonight we're reading a strange, well, we're reading a part of Revelation. It feels weird to pick one out and say it's the strange part of Revelation. Um, and when Ben and I were talking about this, this week in particular in the text we're, we're going to work through together and talk about, uh, it's about the fall of Babylon um, and some rejoicing over that. So this song is kind of an interesting thought experiment of a kind of utopian post-empire life. I'm not sure how realistic it is. I think it's probably fooling itself a little bit. But I think that that's instructive. Um, so, here we go. Mm-hmm. 
A million tents and deserts will cover the open desert. Your kids will learn again how to build the fire, where to work. The waters and the families are bound together now by the fall of all the great cities. Finally, they sing out their stories and the histories of hunger and the victory. Back into the old gypsy circles where the swaying girls will play out the old rituals. The boys will be delirious and desperate and serious. The chasing will be furious. The drums and the rain will come together howling. The cities are all lost, but the circle is found that'll tie us together. My kind of town. fall I was a singer saw the future laid out in dominoes now I hunt the buffaloes and my darling who are you would bind the counter with the day memorized in those cold vacant eyes oh you swore you were free swore you could see them coming in old angel midnight staring you down he's stealing the water right out of the ground and the news may be true but the facts were never found and the market is dead and the phone lines are down but it ties us together my kind of town So here we are, week three of time and revelation, and as these songs ask us to just name, what have we seen, what have we not seen this week? With cold, vacant eyes, what have we seen and not seen? What needs? Um, to be lost and order us for us to be found, to find each other again. Those are the kind of questions that this text, this Revelation text, asks strangely and forcefully. And this is a text, as we've talked about already in the first two weeks, that comes out of and is speaking to and for and among folks who ask those questions and really necessary forceful ways and so this week in this third week after sort of surveying the territory Molly did a great job for that for us in the first week after musically sort of surveying the territory last week Adam did a lovely job of I think we probably read what maybe a third of the book aloud over some really interesting musical interplays I hope we've had a chance to hear this text in a new or a fresh and a different way and meet it up against some of those questions that we bring to it and that jump out of it. And this week, in the next four weeks, we're gonna start what I think will be a pretty steady journey through the back half. 
starting with this chapter tonight where it's really a turn in the second half of the book. And it is quite a turn. So we're going to come back together and read that. But the first thing I'm going to ask you when we come back is, where are you sitting with these like 22 chapters of Revelation? Um, you know, after these first two weeks of renegotiation, revisiting, re-encountering. So yeah, maybe think about that and ask someone's opinion. While you pass the peace of Christ to each other and get some coffee. Are there, did somebody bring snacks? Are there? I don't know. Nope. Nary a snack. You got coffee and water. Enjoy them. And pass the peace, and we'll see you back in a couple minutes. All right. You guys like each other so much. It's so great. You're like talking and talking and stuff. I think some, first of all, some snacks did appear. I think there is both fruit and veggie back there now. So that's a thing if you missed it. And then, yeah, just to sort of take our temperature, um, kind of acknowledge that, yeah, we've been talking about the book of Revelation for two weeks. And uh, yeah, I don't know if you're like me. I had certainly read this book a fair amount of times, actually, but it had been a long, long time. And so, yeah, for me, this has been a cause to, like, sit with a text that I've known and I've had known at me. Um, and, yeah, and to think about it in some pretty different ways. And so, yeah, just through the last two weeks, the opportunity that's represented, yeah, just particularly like different perspectives and noticings, but yeah, things that have called up for you and re-engaging or just engaging this revelation text these past couple weeks. And as we're waiting on that, I say, who was here last week for the Revelation Musicathon? Okay, so you got something to say, all right? You sat here for 40 plus minutes while we read Revelation aloud, facing each other over musical selections. So, you've got something. I thought that was really cool. I really, I mean, I don't have anything really remarkable to say about it, but I thought that was really neat how you mixed in the music with the um, text and, um, you know, sort of made you think about the images more. And, uh, but, I mean, it's, it's as strange as I remember. <laughs> it, it was deeply affecting. I also kept wondering the entire time. I was like, I wonder if this is anybody's first time here. <laughs> like, what kind of church is this? But, oh boy. Where did I end up tonight? Yeah. I talked with somebody who it was their first time. Oh, and she said it was amazing. Wow. She said it was incredible. So. Wow. She was a visual artist. And that's what she said. She wished she had been sitting at an art table because there were so many visual images. Wow. I found myself like physically transported. And that doesn't happen very often. Mm. Like a little numb tingly kind of. In what? Yeah, in what way? Like what was the? Um, because Revelation was always so cool. I don't know. I haven't really spent any time reading it. Mm. I kind of avoided it and avoided anybody's sermons about it and avoided mm. any other kind of crap. Yeah. Um, I think I was just, you know, I mean, it's you're talking to an energy person here, so. <laughs> Vibration of the music and, and your relationship with the other musician. Was that all improvisation? 
Um, Mike is mostly, his was mostly improvisational. Yep. I had a fair understanding of the songs, but he kind of walked in blind. Yeah. He's an exception. And I think that was what was happening. Is, is, I mean, you know, he was but whatever. I got lost in it. That's really good. I mean, I was kind of, I, I came up with the idea to do it, and I was really surprised with how well it went. But yeah, in terms of, I think one of the things that I took away last week was like this sense of like, just the narrative, right? Like I thought, I thought Molly, who like picked out most of those texts and put them together, it's like a really, the arc of it and the sense of the story that this text had to tell um, was really striking. Um, Anybody else would throw something? So headed to Revel, yeah, Jim. Um, I, I can't connect this to things that people have said so far, but when I saw I was listening to it, I was thinking of the literary of magical realism. Um, how, I think that's mostly Latin, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That kind of yeah, style yeah. of writing where these images are used to really drive them a point um, in, in a way that kind of catches you off guard and yet. Um, so it's, it's it's just, uh, well, I, I've said it already, magical Yeah, I, I really like that. Yeah, it's Gabriel Garcia Marquez and Fixit. Yeah, yeah, it does remind me of that, yeah. <coughs> For me, I think last week I was especially um, taken by how much scripture I knew from Revelation that I did not know was mm-hmm. especially in the gospel. So like, there's a lot of songs I grew up on We're having an effect on each other um, in these few weeks, and yeah, I think that in part to do this text, um, I think it's a great pivot tonight into the sort of end game of Revelation that plays out through 18 to 22. Um, like I said, this is the break in that second half of the sort of of, of the book where the judgment that has been promised and has been unfolding comes to a particular point on a particular antagonist. Um, and, and I think this was one of the pieces, yeah, this is kind of like the climax of, of last week's sort of experiment. Felt a good reason to follow into this. So I, let's read it aloud again, if somebody wants to please take that on. And then we'll delve into Revelation 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his splendor. He called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen, is Babylon the great. It has become a dwelling place of demons, a haunt of every foul spirit, a haunt of every foul bird, a haunt of every foul and hateful beast. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxury. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you do not take part in her sins. And 
so that you do not share in her plague. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her as she herself has rendered, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double draft for her in the cup she has mixed. As she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, so give her like a measure of torment and grief. Since in her heart she says, I rule as a queen, I am no widow, and I will never see grief. Therefore her plagues will come in a single day, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned with fire, for mighty is the Lord who judges her. And the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, the great city, Babylon, the mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore cargo of gold, silver, jewels, and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet, all kinds of scented wood, all articles of ivory, all articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, olive oil, cho choice flower and meat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, slaves, and human lives. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you. And all your dainties and your splendor are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares, who gain wealth from her, will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, the great city, clothed in fine linen, and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls. For in one hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafarers, sailors, and all whose carriers on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich, rich by her wealth. For in one hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it to the sea, saying, with such violence, Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down, and we found no more. And the sounds of harpists and minstrels and of flautists and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And an artisan of any trade will be found in you no more. And the sound of the millstone will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the magnates of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in you was found the blood of prophets and of saints, and of all who have been slaughtered on earth. That is comprehensive. <laughs> so, um, yeah. What? Uh, so, uh, two questions to get us into this. The first one was I, my, my response is, "What's striking in this?" And to me, it's like that is comprehensive. <laughs> Um, and the second one is, because I think this is something that really stood out to me in like encountering this text again, is who are the players here? There's a lot of like people, individuals, right? This is, we're looking from afar onto not just what's happening to Babylon, but a whole series of like responses and interactions around that. So, yeah. 
I just got done talking, but I'm going to talk again. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there are many players, right? There's the Angel, there's the people watching. But, but the thing that struck me when I was reading that, um, you know, everyone's going to see what they want to see when they read something so eloquent, right? Someone who's on a very different part of, say, the political spectrum than me is going to see something very different. But this is a system, right? You read it, and it's the merchants, and, and, and uh, the, the, the floods and trumpers, the artisans, the fruit. Like, it's just, it's a system, right? And this is a system that has fallen and has fallen apart. It's, it's hard not to see, you know, the, the, the inescapable systems that surround us in it. Um, and, and, you know, in, reading this stuff is terrifying. It, it reminds me of you know, stuff that I, I don't want to think about from, from younger, but, uh, but I can see the celebration and joy in it when I think about, like, there are systems every day that I think there's no way I'll ever escape them. And to see them all fall is a, is a moment of celebration and joy. As much as I don't like some of the language of this, definitely. It seems like when you asked about the players, that's what I saw, was it's multifaceted. Others? It's an interesting picture of a city. Like, what is, the thinking about if a city were a film, what is made up of in a city, right? Is it community members? Is it churches? Is it, you know, schools? What, is it, the political system, what is the city, but within this, the city falls and what people are mourning is the fall of the, the capital trade and the, you know, the, the money changing and the, the gold. That's what the city has, has fallen. That's like, what is the city? Yeah, yeah, a city, yeah, somebody else. Jim, was that you? No. Yeah, I was in the, in the two things that you said. I was noticing that I think so for the first century folks, just remember, it's like this is Rome, right? So this is a city that is Rome for for the first century audience. That's that's the Babylon they would have been imagining, and the Babylon, and it's interesting, yeah, that Rome is the targeted is the target of a much bigger, right? So like, yeah, this is this is a city that is the center of a much bigger system, a much bigger empire. We're rejoicing over the particular hub of a thing coming apart. Yeah. So, Ben, yeah. Monty Python is coming to mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of um, Life of Brian, I think it is, and where this uh, little contingent of rebels is gathered together <laughs> and they're plotting and they're saying, what has Rome done for us? And, yeah. And they say, well, what about the roads? <laughs> you know, what about wine? Yeah. Uh, what about world peace? Besides that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> besides all that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, it kind of complicates the picture when, when you see all these other benefits. And so I'm thinking back to the song that we sang where there is this uh, kind of a celebration of destitution. Uh, we're going to go to the desert. We're going to remember what it's like to live simply. And so this this um, story that we're reading here it has a has a tinge of that. Yeah, yeah, it's a desperate picture, but it's like they're going to get theirs. It's going to be so great. They're going to be totally wiped out. And um, so I've I've got these <coughs> these thoughts about well. Yeah, it'll be wiped out. There's a lot of things that you enjoy that are going to be gone. A lot of things you have benefited from. Um, plagues, for example, uh, like devastation. Mm -hmm. and, and one 
even though you may enjoy seeing the fall of a Babylon or a Rome, um, when that order is gone, plague will visit everyone. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think that's totally. I think so. And, and some of the players here, right, you've got your all the players in the system, and then verse 4, come out of her, my people, so that you do not take part in her sins, so that you do not share in her plagues. But so much of like what we get in the next several chapters is the alternative, right? That this is going to disappear, this is going to dissipate, and God will insert something alternative. But exactly, if we end here, if we end at the end of 18, yeah, the news, news feels pretty mixed. And that was kind of the next question I had, is what kind of news is this? For all these different players, because it's going to look a lot of different. We see a lot of people responding, but what kind of news is this? It's kind of terrifying. And I think it, and this, this, this was the thought running from my head when I read Jim said a little bit like, it's terrifying in some ways for everyone. And like, you look at this and it's like, there's the command like come out of my people, but the city's laid to waste an hour. And I don't know how many people are going to be able to get out that fast. And like it's if there's all just this like this that kind of sudden change is terrifying. Mm -hmm. And I we were seeing that Peter and the Wolf song and I, like there are these romantic ideals of going back to the land and living on the land and I think like, oh you know I also like not having measles because there's a vaccine for that. <laughs> and that was gone, right? And so like, like, this is all really, we have such an intricate system that's all built up. We thought of any of these systems that we can view as bad as just being suddenly destroyed is kind of terrifying, even if it's a system that I politically don't like. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah. I do think, I, th uh, I think there's... At the end of verse 13, I find it interesting. Horses and chariots, slaves in human lives. That the kind of coupling of the slaves and, and human lives, the reiteration of that, is really key, I think, to unlocking the next part. That, uh, or unlocking is a weird phrase to use. But um, there's a certain urgency of like, it's not just that people are are benefiting from the exchange of this wealth. There are also people that are just like living a social debt, right? And there's an urgency to that reality that like, uh, like I get very energized by this text and I'm like really pumped about it. Um, <laughs> there's something of like not a minute longer. Like not a minute longer will these people have to suffer. Um, under the weight of Babylon. That I think is like incredibly moving. To, to have the notion of a God who sees and cares. That like lives are being exchanged so that merchants can live luxurious lives and all of that kind of stuff. But that's the point for me. Yeah, thanks Adam. I think that's the, that's certainly the urgency that the text is striving. And, and I think that that particular distinction you make was one that I had never yeah, like in reading about this text a little bit this week is one that some folks keyed onto. It was very explanatory, like slaves and human lives, right? That, that at the list, a long list of this com commodities at the end, 
human life has been counted among them. And it gets our imagination going. And the other is like, I'd always thought, oh, wait, this is the prophets, right? You murdered the prophets. But there's also, there's the prophets and all who have been slaughtered on the earth, right? So there is like collateral damage from Babylon's thwarting of God and prophets that spills over to, to, yeah, I think to folks even who would not see themselves in the media audience of this text. Like our salvation will be salvation for others who are suffering under this. Yeah. 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 I love that point. And I was reading something about Revelation that there's some scholars that think, like, stylistically, it's more like a Jewish text than um, a Christian text. Um, And you've also read um, some writings talking about um, in, in the Hebrew Bible, like, the idea that it's not like maybe wealth in it, the idea of like wealth in itself is so bad, it's the differential wealth or the way or like the result of a certain kind of wealth, like how exploited, like who, who's getting hurt to get that or is there other kinds of wealth, other kinds of like, you know, is the wealth of good community, good food and, and enough for everyone to share, that's certainly a kind of wealth, maybe it doesn't have to exploit. The kinds of wealth listed here, um, and particularly the slaves in human lives, it's like a differential wealth. And so I think a younger me, you know, might just be like, yeah, the, the city's coming down, and it's not like we're just gonna live in these like anarchist communes. But now I'm like, well, but. Um, is it specifically the, the wealth that's the problem or the kind of wealth and the fact that it's not being shared? Is like that what's, what's really causing the downfall of the city? Um, I'm not sure that it's just the fact that cinnamon and costly wood exists, but like what, who's, who's getting it? How much, who's getting what? Who's not getting any of it? Who's, what forests are going down because of it? How, how are these resources being managed? Um, you know, probably not well. It's probably not going well. Um, but that's just something I'm trying to remember. It's like wealth, differential wealth. It's, like it's not exactly the same thing. And there's like, like nuance we don't really know how to talk about in America, but like something I've been trying to explore more. And, and I also think about, you know, when 
something that struck me was when we got to 22, um, yeah, verse 22, it's like maybe people who aren't even uh, guilty in the system are going to suffer, right? Like, like, so where are the musicians going when they are not being heard anymore? And what about these artisans that perhaps aren't benefiting and getting all the wealth, but they're not going to be working here anymore? You know, so like even the people who are um, not basking in wealth when the whole system crashes all at once, like everybody's going to suffer. Going. <laughs> it makes me think of the flood. Yeah. Uh, can I say one thing too? Yeah, go ahead. Reading a little bit about this um, meteor that hit the Earth 20 million years ago and the tidal waves that that caused and that that was um, part of the extinction of the dinosaurs and the emergence of the mammals as the predominant life form on Earth. And you know how that type of apocalypse kind of lines up with the flood story in the Bible, and, and maybe those two things are overlaid. And then when I read about this mighty angel taking a stone and throwing it into the sea, I'm like, well, gosh, that's an asteroid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's the one that already hit us or the one that's coming us. <laughs> now we're getting somewhere, right? I mean, <laughs> yes. Tim Connors' prophecy class is coming. No. Um, I think, yeah, we got a few, yeah, a few more minutes here. But the kind of this is exactly where, yeah, I think this text is taking us in bias to go. Is saying that, and, and I want to ask this: like, what is the function of this sort of text? I think we're getting, we already gotten at some of what it, what kind of function it might serve, what kind of hope it offers, what kind of like work it does for a first century like Jewish audience that's just been handed their children by Rome. But yeah, for us, people who find ourselves, if we're, if we're gonna extrapolate to empires, we find ourselves more intricately tied to them than we do looking at a distance at them. What, what kind of work does this text do for us, what kind of imagination does it, what kind of apocalyptic imagination does it invite us to and what kind of work is it inviting us to do? There's a parallel in here I find really interesting um, in regards to that, right? So, I mean, so what you're saying, Jim, about the Amazon, and, right? Like, if we look at this as the, the, the system in which we all live, we are all complicit. We are the ones who, are in there, but at the very beginning it talks about, um, you know, I don't like this whole thing about fornication, it feels bad, but um, but it, it's it's uh, an action, the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and then at the end it says that that that, uh, uh, that uh, with your sorcery you deceived all the nations, right, those are two different things, one is, you know, you've acted, one is you've been deceived, but um, like reading this, it The system is unescapable, right, that this is, but it, I think, invites us to imagine not only, you know, 
to examine our own complicity, but you know, it, it is an imaginary thing, right? The, the world's not going to fall tomorrow. Um, but you have the joy of imagining what if, because it can feel like change. Like, there is no way I am going to live my life tomorrow and not be a part of the system. I got three kids, right? Yeah. But, like, to imagine just for a moment that that falls away is a, you know, a sense of primal joy that is, is hard to escape. And then the reality of it you know, sucks. We all get measles and die. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but it doesn't have to be that way. Right. That's kind of, I think, what can be applied across context is the idea that there is no neutral. Mm. Right? Mm. Like you're either actively working mm. to perpetuate the system mm. or you're actively working against it. Mm. But there's no, like, there's no objects in motion stay in motion, right? Like, you're doing, you're going one way or the other. But then I think also the end of what you said and think about the destruction of it isn't neutral either. <laughs> like the fall of these systems doesn't have a neutral. Mm -hmm. That things that we abhor about the system will fall, but in essence, other parts of the system, like it's not, it's not like trimming bushes, I guess. Like <laughs> <the> pink away. <laughs> <laughs> This is not a pruning text. Yes. There are pruning texts in the Bible. This is not one of them. Yeah. Citadel fire text. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's like you gotta burn off a whole acreage. Yeah. But I mean, I think we're all complicit. We're all gonna continue to be complicit. But I think what Clint's talking about, where you can imagine it being different can motivate you to dream about and then act on how could I in this little way or that little way be actively against this system that's wrong, right? Like, so, I mean, I think our actions are definitely limited by our imagination. So to whatever degree we can be pushed to imagine something different, maybe that can trickle down to acting in a different way, right? And there's going to be an entirely alternative kingdom, right? An entirely alternative system that's coming right up behind. The new Jerusalem is going to descend out of the sky to replace the old Rome. And I think, right now we're sitting at the end of 18, I think the gateway between where we are at the end of 18 and even being prepared to live in, to see as good news what is coming next, is a break of imagination. And it's this, it's this Brueggemann quote we let in, all empires are acts of imagination. They present a world that lures humanity into false hopes and lakes, claim to our hearts and our souls as the unquestioned status quo. But when we break it, all of a sudden, things that did not seem plausible, a God that did not seem engaged, a love that did not, it's, it's something, something breaks open. So let's take this forward into next week. Brandon's gonna be engaging us next week in some like circle practice like from his teaching and classroom stuff as we go forward into some of these, you know, continued judgment and, 
New Things text. So really excited for these next three weeks to continue to follow this narrative through. And Adam's going to follow us through into confession and absolution. Uh, for our confession, I, I always try and do Leonard Cohen songs because I'm terribly compelled by them and I'm not, an inf- not a terribly effective interpreter of him. But, um, but I was curious about what it would be like to sing about the fall of Babylon from inside Babylon. Uh, and maybe some of the... I think there's a mix in this song of a kind of hubris, but also a kind of like holy conversation and struggle that could be interesting for us in light of the text we just read. If you are the dealer, I'm out of the game. If you are the healer, it means I'm broken and lame. If thine is the glory, then mine must be the shame. You want it darker. We kill the flame. Magnified, sanctified, be thy holy name. Vilified, crucified in the human frame. A million candles burning for the hope that never came. You want it darker. He nanny, nanny. I'm ready, my Lord. There's a lover in the story, but the story's still the same. There's a lullaby for suffering and a paradox for blame. And it's written in the scriptures, it's not some idle claim. You want it darker? We kill the flame. They're lining up the prisoners and the guards are taking aim. I struggled with some demons, they were middle class and tame. I didn't know I had permission to murder and maim. You want it darker. Yenani, yenani, I'm ready, my lord. Magnified, sanctified, be thy holy name. Vilified, crucified in the human frame A million candles burning for the love that never came You want it darker We kill the flame Escapes from the top of it 
conversation tonight, carrying so much of it for me. Before you know it, you're duped. You take what the world offers, commodities, prejudices, fears, injustices, violence, false gods. You accept it all as a given to this tired life, accepted as an unquestioned reality. This table offers another world another way of being that is both unsettling and comforting as it stands in prophetic judgment over the empires of this world. There is an empire sitting where we sit. We are sitting in it right now. But if there is a small flame, then there can't be a great fire. If we can stay awake, come out of what is costing us so much and so deeply that it hurts to lose it, then we can come in and open up to a God and each other that would make us over again. And that is the table we celebrate every week. And so I invite you to come and break bread or a cracker, pour wine and juice for each other, saying the blood of Christ shed for you, the body of Christ broken for you, the love and light of Christ breaking in and lighting the small flames that become the great fires that rekindle our imagination for what might yet break forth. Even here tonight, welcome to the table. 